0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mock, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as a TV journalist slash presenter, VO, at the feed SBS, at SBS News, rides Ducati, plays ukulele. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Andy Park. G'day, Moxie. How are you? Look, I'm well. Andy, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself?
1: Look, I I never do last names because I feel like that's very formal. Even when I'm at work and doing journalism things, I feel like the last name, it's insincere. You know, like Mm -hmm. I met Kevin Rudd once and... Obviously, he's probably not the best example of someone who uh, is charismatic with everyone. But <laughs> His he, last name
0: is from he, Queensland.
1: That's right, that's right, up your way. But he, um, he always did introduce himself as as Kevin. I'm Kevin. You know, it's that's how I introduce myself. I introduce it's... myself as Andy, not Kevin. I think that should be clear to your listeners.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad we sorted that out. How how do given the nature of your job as a journalist, then how do some of the more formal meetings and conversations you have to have? How do they cope with that?
1: Well, I don't know. I think I just do it anyway, Uh, especially because my my job is about putting people at ease. And I think if if you put your last name in at the start, it sets the tone for a formal interaction. So if I walked into an interview with someone whose children had been abused or something horrible, you know, the whole idea is to make make them feel at ease and feel like they can tell you things. And usually if you tell people your full name, it's a bit of a barrier to, to sort of to jump over, if you like.
0: Mm. Are you in the place where you thought you would be at high school?
1: <laughs> oh, look, I had no idea what I was going to do in high school. And um, look, I'll tell you a story. It's um, it's not very flattering, but <laughs> I went through puberty very late in life uh, to the point that I was probably about 17 or 18 when my voice broke. And before that, I was pretty much a choir boy, you know, like it was a very, very high voice. And I remember uh, coming home to my mum and crying one time saying, I just, I just want to go through puberty because everyone else already had. (laughs) And uh, little little did I know that my day would come. And when that day came, uh, yeah, Barry White stepped out
0: it came but, in spades, dude. You seriously have one of the best baritones I've heard going around.
1: Well, I can't sing. Uh, I can't sing to save my life. And it's funny, you mentioned in your, your wonderful intro about playing the ukulele, and I do play the ukulele, but look, the singing accompaniment is yet to come my way. I, I just can't hold the <laughs> tune, but I, I can read a script, and that's what I'm paid to do. So, yeah, very lucky. But to get back to your question, you know, it's, it's very hard to know what you're going to do In high school and I'm always amazed when I'm interviewing kids for stories when they say I want to do this and I want to do that because I never had any kind of clear direction like that it was only because of my late blossoming shall we say moxie uh, Mm -hmm. that people around me my family said oh you should try radio so I never I never really had the the bug to do something it was others that suggested it to me.
0: What did that then mean for you coming out of high school, someone that, oh, hey, you should do these things? Was it off to uni to do journalism? Was it oh, I've got other plans? I'm going off for a gap year. H- how do you then end up currently working for SBS and The Feed?
1: Well, it's a long and circuitous route, but I didn't actually go to uni straight away. I worked in a bookstore. I'm a, I was a big fan of... Uh, of reading of 20th century literature, I thought I was uh, the next Carowax. So I excellent. I worked in a bookstore. I think I had a ponytail. I should show you photos sometime. Oh, it was a did. very regrettable time in my life, but I did. <laughs> I did learn a lot by having a, a library of books to read while no customers were in the store. And I did a lot of travel and I uh, did a lot of backpacking. I, I lived in London for a couple of years. I worked in a bar all this before I sort of really realized that I should go to uni and study something so I can get paid more than you get paid in a bar. Mm. Um, so I actually went, only went to uni fairly late in the piece. I had a, a radio career before I uh, even started journalism. So my first job, really my first serious kind of professional job was uh, at a radio sales agency in Sydney, which was deathly boring uh, and had nothing to do with presentation or being on air or anything. It was just, I was just like backroom flunky using the fax machine. That's pretty much all I did. Um, But it gave me an entree into some of the networks that I would end up one day working for and some contacts that had come in handy. And uh, I ended up going to the Australian Film and Television Radio School in in Sydney to do radio in 2002. So that was was how I started my radio career.
0: Nice. Were you giving away... Icy cold cans of Coke.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I actually worked for Nova, um, which is obviously uh, a network familiar to various uh, capital city audiences. And I had to drive one of their promotional cars in my early career and I ran over a brick uh, late at night coming back to the station and I damaged the car something wicked, like it was a brand new PT Cruiser, you know, those like retro kind of hatchback things at the time. And I ran over there, this. and it, when I say brick, I don't mean house brick. I mean besser oh. Lock. And, oh, wow. And it went straight through the front spoiler. Uh, and I remember just parking it nose in when I got back to the, the station because uh, if someone else didn't notice when they took it out the next day, then, hey, I'm off scot-free.
0: Did you get in trouble for it? <laughs> no, I
1: didn't. I didn't get fired or anything. I I think they just assumed that getting the keys to brand-new late-model PT Cruises uh, to basically 21 year olds is probably a stupid idea, and they accepted responsibility.
0: <laughs> Goodness me. Andy, what is one thing that you do really well? Oh, that's a very good question.
1: My job is so much about persuasion. You know, mm. I think it's really about uh, getting people to trust you and. I think in my early career, I I certainly worked in jobs where it was for a commercial end. Like I worked in a a PR agency in London for two years where my job was to literally sell thin air over the phone. And it was kind of like that scene in the Wolf of Wall Street where you have like a Mm. boiler room with phones up and down a, a huge office. And, my job was to close on the phone and get people to believe me and trust me and and then sell them thousands of pounds worth of basically fictitious radio airtime. And that was probably 10 or 12 years ago. But I realised that it was one of my skills to get people to listen to me on the phone, trust me, tell me things. And I suppose it was journalism that made me realise I could use those skills for good, not evil. (laughs) <laughs> so while we're talking while we've while been talking moxie i've been um i've been tracking you and i've been listening to the way you've asked you're asking questions and it's very good you're very good at this
0: thank you I, i'm trying very hard to be very good because people like yourselves journalists uh they ask questions for a living so they know what they're doing i'm just winging it we'll have a good okay. go at it and what's your credit card number uh, it is, uh, it begins with a six and ends with a six and there's lots of sixes in the middle.
1: See what I did there? I got you to feel flattered and then all of a sudden mm. you're like, oh, I might, oh, no, I shouldn't give him that information. That's that's the tricks I'm talking about.
0: Wow, you schemer. Mm. And how did mm-hmm. you find yourself in London?
1: Look, I was working for Austereo, Southern Cross Austereo, which is the uh, radio network um, and I was working for Fox FM in Melbourne. I was the morning Uh, announcer and the music director for this uh, top 40 radio station god yeah it was a horrible time but like I said it was the only thing that people thought I could do and they said oh why why don't you try and do radio what you, you know you're the new Barry Bissell well it's funny you say that because I took over the airwaves from Barry Bissell I was the morning announcer that was on Uh, after his show, so meaning when he wrapped up and moved on and went out to pasture, I uh, took over the morning, the hallowed morning slot on Fox FM in Melbourne and, uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Were you just Andy Park or were you Crazy Andy or Andy Pandy or how did that work? Oh,
1: man, it was horrible. I'm so glad that, like, people don't have uh, (laughs) digital logging devices that can (laughs) go back and find all that stuff because it was horrible. Like, one of the reasons why I do what I do now is because I I realised Uh, at Fox FM that I was doing something that was something that was very culturally negative. It was destructive, like selling, doing OBs at Bunnings on a weekend and giving away icy cold Cokes and uh, talking crap. It's just not culturally positive, it's not adding to anything. No one's learning anything. No one's growing. It's just this dead end, this cultural cul-de-sac. So it was a good experience to do all that stuff because it realized it made, made me realize what I wanted to do with these skills. And it wasn't, uh, taking away brain cells from people that was hopefully uh, stimulating new ones or making people think. Um, so uh, I've forgotten your question now. Sorry.
0: How did you get to London then?
1: Oh uh, Yeah. So I fell in love with my producer, uh, a wonderful, uh, a beautiful girl uh, who was one or two years older than me. And she was the producer for my show uh, at Fox FM. And oh, she produced kind a few of other shows. Yes. There was uh, a very, very tense and, heated romance, um, which ultimately led to us both going, you know what, stuff this. I'm sick of working for Australia. Let's go and travel the world. And to answer your question, the way that I got to London was overland. I went through Mongolia and uh, the Trans-Siberian Railway across Russia. I bought a car in Poland and drove it to Syria and then drove it to London. As you do. Yeah, it took me seven months to get to to London overland in uh, about 2005 uh, with my girlfriend at the time. And then we set up in London. She had a twin sister there and she had some family and some friends. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I'd ever leave in London again. Have you been to London? You've spent some time there? Not yet. No. Mm. Look, I don't think it's all it's cracked up to be. I think it's a very old world place with very old world attitudes. And at the time that I was there, a lot of Australians were leaving because the economy was going to shit. Mm. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it's just not a very happy place. It's a miserable place. But at least you're close to things like Gatwick Airport or Heathrow where you can catch a two-pound flight to the continent and forget about London, which is what I did for two years.
0: I remember seeing an article about a gentleman who worked out it was cheaper for him to live in Spain and fly to work every day using uh, cheap flights than it was to to live in London and commute.
1: Well, I've read stories about how people live in Melbourne and commute to Sydney to avoid paying house prices here, so that idea ain't so crazy.
0: Wow. Wow. It's beyond me. What can't you tolerate? What
1: can't I tolerate? Mm. I think uh, working in the organisation I work for, uh, which at the moment is SBS, I feel like I can't tolerate people that can't tolerate alternative views. You know, so much of what we do is to provide an alternative view and in the Australian media landscape, sometimes that's a very one-sided affair. And a lot of what we do is providing information to contribute to that ideological discussion. And sometimes, as you know, on Twitter, there are some very rapid judgments and some very um, premature um, opinions and people don't stop and think before they type. And so, I don't know. I feel like I can't tolerate people that can't be challenged. You know, they can't listen to an alternative point of view.
0: How do you challenge yourself?
1: Well, it's funny you should say that because um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because as you know, I'm, I'm leaving SBS and moving to the ABC Mm -hmm. and the way I think I, I've come to terms with that is because I feel like I've run out of challenges here. You know, SBS is a very warm, big family. You know, it's a, it's a smaller network, but I know everyone here now, and it's been almost three and a half years I think I've been here, which is a lifetime in TV land, but not a long time in, in other people's careers. So the challenge that I think I've set myself is to become a smaller fish in a bigger pond. And uh, I've been trying to work out my own little way to kind of compute this. And I think my half-assed pseudo, (laughs) uh, you know, intellectual uh, analogy is, you know, fish only grow big when they're swimming against the current and you have to swim against that current to to become better. Uh, And I suppose that's the reasons why I've decided to leave ASPS and go to a bigger a bigger current and to test myself that way.
0: In a time of crisis, are you fight or flight?
1: Uh, I think I'm fight. So, I mean, you have to be. I think you have to be. That's a really good question because um, it's not about who you are. It's about the instinct that drives who you are. Like I think the instinct is before the uh, intellectualization of who you are, the concept itself. And I think uh, – it depends on the threat. I mean, it's my family, I think, I, yeah, very much fight. And especially when you're challenged in a work environment, you know, like you do get challenged when you're in interviews and very sticky mm. interviews with people who um, clearly don't want to be there. You know, you, you smell the blood in the air. Like, <laughs> I, don't want to sound like too, I don't want to sound too aggressive, but, you know, when you, you know you've got someone on the ropes and that's the fight, that's the fight instinct. You have to make people accountable for what they say. Uh, and that, I think that's the same thing for me. I I feel like there's that fight instinct when you smell that blood in the air.
0: Is that instinct a developed one for you or one that has been, uh, you you, developed as in it was something that your parents encouraged just generically as far as them raising you or is it something that through, through your own testing that you've had to develop to allow you to survive, to protect your own sanity?
1: See, I always thought that it was completely um, manufactured to do the job that I do. You know, you have to be confident, you have to uh, attack, you have to be certain of what your your research says, be certain of what you're saying. But I wasn't a very confident kid, and as I told you before, I, I went through puberty really, really late in life, and so I, uh, yeah, I think it's a, almost a ninety five percent acquired skill to. To be that way. I mean, my father is is very aggressive, very assertive, very dominant person. But uh, I always thought he was a joke when I was a kid. I was like, "Why are you being so uh, assertive? Like you're making trouble where you don't need to." But yeah, look, I think those those these sort of skills are really important in what I do now.
0: Mm. What's your experience of family?
1: Hmm. Well, my parents broke up, and I was four years old so my parents have always been separated um (laughs) funny story both of my parents have only spoken to each other once in the last 25 years why but they live 200 meters apart what <laughs> so, so they both live in the same suburb. They both know where each other lives, but it was completely random, and they've lived that way for the last, you know, probably fifteen years. Wow. And so, my mum will say to me, "I saw your dad down the shops," and I'm like, "Yeah, right. Well, I see him all the time." And then my dad will say, "Well, I saw your mum down the shops and I'm like, "Yeah, I know, I know." you <laughs> know So they they haven't spoken for a long time. But um, I, I I suppose to answer your question, my concept of family has changed because I've I was married last year, and uh, my wife and I are looking forward to having our own family. So, my experience with family is was, you know, maybe a little bit more fractured than the norm. But I'm hoping that my future experience of family is going to be very different.
0: Does that shape your experience as a kid growing up in a, in a family where your parents lived apart? Does that shape your expectations on yourself? You know, in potentially becoming a dad, being a husband.
1: It's funny, you know, They, I read this interesting article uh, in uh, I think it was the New Scientist that said they'd done this study where they took single parent families with a mother as the parent, so single mother mm-hmm. families, and their single child family. So I'll, re- I'll rephrase. They, there was a study that said that when there's a family that has a, only a mother and only a son and no male influence – Mm. That son has a st- st- statistically lower or deeper voice because there's a vacuum there. There's no reference on how a male voice should sound. Wow! So I've, I've often wondered if, like, maybe that's that's why uh, my voice is the way it is because I didn't have much of a male uh, role model when it came to how a male voice sounded. Yeah, I
0: thought it was pretty interesting. Gosh, yeah, that's that's really really good. What's your favourite animated TV show series, you know, thing that you love?
1: I love BoJack Horseman. Have you watched it? I have. I love BoJack. I love the writing. Obviously, Will Arnett is amazing. I love Mm -hmm. how it's so irreverent about celebrity and Hollywood culture and media, Uh, the animation and the constant animal jokes. Like, you know how all the way through the series Mm -hmm. there's this constant, like, zoological jokes because all the characters are animals. I love it. I just devoured the whole second season recently, probably in one Saturday, and it was sunny outside. I was like, I don't don't even care. I just have to get to the end of this. So, yeah, Yeah. I love BoJack. If you haven't seen BoJack Horseman, you have to get on that
0: wagon. It is awesome. Did you see the article uh, in The Guardian this week where, look, I can't remember who it was, but they were commenting saying that uh, how do you break, or how do you maintain the, the white male stereotype as, as lead uh, in the you know in 2015? Oh, you make the lead character a horseman.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Well, uh, obviously, it's, it's not only um, Will Arnett, but uh, who's the guy out of Breaking Bad? Uh, he's the executive producer uh, of BoJack. Um, oh yeah, slipped my mind. But he also voices the. Uh, the co character or the Todd who plays the sort of mm. disheveled couch surfing bum that <laughs> yes. lives in Bojack's house. Yeah, uh, what a great show. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, for Netflix to launch a show like that and to put money on it, obviously they had really bankable talent in Will Arnett mm-hmm. and they had a precedent with obviously with the kind of audience that the rest of development has. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, what, a, what an awesome risk and what an awesome payoff because it's, it's a fantastic show.
0: It's so great. It is so great. Where where is the line between public and private for you?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think up until now, working at SBS and and being on the feed, um, with all due respect to my colleagues, we haven't had a huge, huge following, you know, like uh, when it comes to the ratings that we get in the very competitive time slot that we uh, compete Mm. in. We haven't totally been under scrutiny, you know. I, I feel like we've been operating a little bit in the closet and so I don't feel like I've had to draw any really sort of solid boundaries. I mean, I certainly try and keep one my, my main Facebook account my own and it's not my real name um, mm. and I do have a professional Facebook account. But I don't know, I, I feel like these days with all of the revelations of Snowden and all of the hacking of Ashley Madison and all of the leaks that have happened, you really can't trust any digital platform for anything important. And like, I think to that end, like, I don't even, I don't take naked photos of myself. I don't know about you, Maltzy. You might do that as you might do that just fine, but I, I don't feel like I do it because if it exists, it can be gotten. And if it can be gotten, then, you know, if you're, in a position like I am, that could really damage your career. So I suppose I have to probably think a bit harder about how I draw that line because with a bit of luck, hopefully I'll do more stories that get more attention, therefore more scrutiny and more haters. And haters are <laughs> as important to a story as uh, supporters.
0: Well, you're moving to the right network for that, then, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll
0: see. <laughs> You mentioned before that you and your wife are hoping to, to, to start your own family and, and those sorts of things. Uh, what advice will you give to your child or children about the, the life online, the social aspect, the, the permanency, the digital transparency?
1: It's funny. I was, I'm doing a story at the moment about uh, how you can judge societies, whether they be Australian society or even Japanese society, whether you can judge a society on the independence they give to their children. So this is a story that's going to air. uh, And obviously you'll have to delete this because it's going to go to air next week. But I've been working on this story recently about the independence of children. And I've been spending Mm. time with parents, both in Australia and we did a shoot in Japan about how they give their children independence, both online and in the physical world. And uh, Mm. look, it's very hard Uh, I don't know because this one father that I interviewed has a 10-year-old daughter and he doesn't give her a mobile phone because, uh, well, that leads to cyberbullying. But then I also say, well, what about the safety aspect? You can tell where your daughter is. She can call you if there's any problems. But that line is so subjective. And mm. uh, the only advice I'd be sort of giving my kids is if it exists, it can be gotten. So why not make it not exist? <laughs> why not not go there and let it let it stay um, out of existence forever because the converse is having it hanging around your entire life, you know, and that can haunt you depending on the choices in life you make.
0: What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months?
1: Well, I'm very excited to start uh, a new job at the ABC at 7.30 mm-hmm. in, uh, in the short term. And that's going to be exciting. I, I think that's going to be the real big challenge for me. And, uh, you know, obviously, we won't get to do the sort of lighter of stories that we've done at the feed, but that that's okay too. I think uh, mm. I think you can only do youth, and I do spell that with an F on the end. Uh, TV certainly has a, an end date, and I feel like it's time for me to grow into a new role and and a new audience, and hopefully put to the test some of my finer skills. You know, um, and try and challenge those. So, mate, look, I'm looking forward to winning a Walkley. Look, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to put it out there now. Mm. It's a Walkley that I want, and it's a Walkley that I'm goddamn going to get.
0: Everybody else at the feed's got one.
1: Yeah, that's not true. Not everyone. And the only guy that did have a Walkley left, and he's gone to the ABC. So what does that tell you?
0: That the path to Walkleys are at the ABC?
1: Look, your words, not mine, but (laughs) look, let's, let's hope that that's in my future. Let's hope.
0: Big, bold, hairy, audacious goals—they are what you need, Andy. And it sounds like you've got them in spades. How can did people you, did you find you, say you? Balls or goals? Goals, definitely goals. Balls <laughs> help. I think they get you there. How can people find you? Obviously, Andy, you are Andy underscore Park on Twitter. What other social media accounts do you want to own up to?
1: Look, I do uh, run a professional Facebook account, Andy Park. I do use Instagram, but I don't know, probably not that professionally. All the really good stuff, the the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, all the stupid stuff that happens when I've been reading the news at SBS uh, goes onto the uh, Facebook account. So, yeah, if you want to see what you wear underneath the table when you read the news, there's uh, a few photos of that on my Facebook account.
0: Yes, there is. (laughs) This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that Andy Park is indeed human.
1: When last I checked.